Every week in this series, uh, we have introduced the sermon in exactly the same way. With, with somebody from our community opening up their heart and sharing with the rest of us uh, a rendition or a version or an adaptation of the Lord's Prayer, something that represents um, how the Lord's Prayer or part of it has spoken uh, into their spirit. And um, that's just been an enormous blessing for me to hear all of the ways in which the, the folks who have been honest and brave enough to be vulnerable in front of the rest of us have reflected on this prayer that we've been studying and saying, this is, this is how I hear what God is saying and this is how I respond to him. And I just, I so appreciate everybody that has shared with us over the course of this last month. I have, I have immensely enjoyed working through this series and at some level, I don't care whether anybody else has because uh, just the opportunity to dig into this prayer, this, this central act of Christian spirituality, the one thing that Jesus invited us to pray, in fact, even commanded us to pray as a core part of what it means to live in loving devotion to him, to really get in there and to hear what God is inviting us into all over again, to hear Jesus say, you know, come to God as the loving and strong divine parent that he is and ask him to make you a his will doing kingdom coming kind of person so you can participate with him in filling the world with love and joy and beauty and justice and abundance so that people will see how good and beautiful and loving and powerful and just he is and they will run to him instead of from him. To hear Jesus inviting us to ask God for what we really need to be the people that he created us to be, the, the core, the essentials to survive and food and clothing and family and all the things that we talked about that we receive from God and each other in community. Um, the forgiveness for the ways that we've walked away and then the grace to become a forgiving person with those who have hurt us. And then finally, this evening, this morning, don't know what time it is, um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, we look at the last petition of the Lord's Prayer, and it says this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. The Greek word behind the English word temptation is the word parasmos. And actually, temptation doesn't really capture the spirit of parasmos in, in the best, fullest way. The word parasmos is simply a word that means, more to the point, it means to put something to the test. To, to put something to the test specifically with the purpose of trying to figure out its true character or nature. So now that Dear God, winter is behind us. Think about all of the times this winter where you put your foot on some ice and put some pressure on it to see whether the ice was thick enough to hold the weight of your, of your body. You were putting the ice to the test 
to discover its true character and nature, its strength, its reliability, whether or not it could hold you. It was an act of parasmos. You were applying pressure and learning about what the ice was really like. It's actually a word in the ancient world that comes out of goldsmithing. Because a goldsmith would take a piece of gold ore and would put it into the furnace and expose it to temperatures in excess of 1,000 degrees centigrade. At which point just everything melts. The ore melts and it becomes what they call dross, this impurity and this gross muck floating on the top. And the gold melts and it sinks to the bottom and and the goldsmith scoops off the dross off the top and is left with pure gold behind. It's an act of pyrasmos by applying intense heat. The goldsmith is able to discern which part of the ore is waste and which part of the ore is pure gold. He learns about the character of the ore by applying heat. Those are the kinds of circumstances that Jesus is saying That we ought to come to God and pray. Don't put us in those kinds of situations. Don't lead us into temptation. He's talking about experiences where we, that you have lived through, and I have lived through in life, experience of incredible pressure and heat and stress that expose the true character or nature of what we are really like, Because let's be honest, it's easy to follow Jesus when everything is up and to the right. It's easy to follow Jesus in the sunshine. But how do you do when everything falls apart? Those, those are the moments when you learn the true character and nature, what your faith is really made of. And you've lived through those moments and I've lived through those moments. I was thinking about just the last decade of my life of being uh, married to Krista and the, that hasn't been parasmas, my marriage, but the things that we have lived through together. Right from the very beginning, a year spent in counseling and prayer, trying to gain a sense of healing for her uh, from a rape. A period of intense pressure in our marriage that looking back now looks an awful lot to me like a, a bout of postpartum depression. A moment where we uh, buried my mom at 64 years of age. That night when Krista uh, delivered our stillborn child. This last season of three or four months of trying to be a support to my in-laws after my father-in-law's severely disabling stroke. They're moments of parasmos, of being put to the test, not because they were hard times, but because they were faith crises, because they were moments when we got to see firsthand what our faith in Christ was really made of. And you lived through them too. And I know because I've talked to you about them.
about marriages that are headed over the cliff and kids that are headed off the rails, about abuse, about the loss of health and the loss of job and the loss of loved ones, about all kinds of mental illness and depression, loneliness and addiction. Just thousand degree circumstances where you feel like you're being melted down and the true character and nature of your faith is emerging. And God, by the way, is not responsible for that. God doesn't organize rapes and he doesn't abuse or kill babies or God doesn't do, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. If it is not a good and perfect gift, it didn't come from God. This is just the world that we live in. In the world that we live in, we sometimes go through seasons of testing. Thousand degree circumstances that put our faith to the test. And Jesus says, it is okay to pray. Lead us not into those kinds of seasons. Spare us that stuff, God. Beneath that, there's another meaning to the word parasmos that does come out more like temptation. It's putting something to the test in order to to break it, in order to compromise it. Um, And you can see how that definition of temptation is related to the definition of testing, that sometimes it's in the midst of those periods of intense testing, those thousand degree circumstances in our lives when we are most tempted to live faithlessly, to make faithless choices in how we choose to respond. I mean, some temptation is just the enticement of things that appear in the moment to be more attractive or gratifying than living a life of faithfulness. Those moments where sexual gratification appears more attractive than respecting and not using other people for my own purposes, than a life of faithful purity. Or those moments where anger and bitterness feel more gratifying than forgiveness and reconciliation. There's that kind of... Temptation where, you know, just living in the luxury of our Western world feels more appealing to us than a life of generosity and compassion and justice. But, but this is even deeper than that. This is those moments where the pressure of our circumstances are tempting us to make bad choices in response. Where the pain and trauma that we have lived through tempts us to resort to substances and addiction where the marital stress that we're enduring um, tempts us to cheat on our partner, where somebody else's abuse or taking advantage of us has tempted us to lash out in revenge. It's that kind of temptation that we're also not the stranger of because we have all lived there and we wouldn't have to talk about forgive us our debts last week if we weren't those kinds of people. Martin Luther 500 years ago said, every night I pray forgive us our debts and every morning I pray lead us not into temptation. That's just the rhythm of life. 
And God's not behind the temptation either, by the way. In James chapter 1, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full blown, gives birth to death. James says Jesus isn't responsible for testing you and he's not responsible for tempting you. Jesus isn't trying to get you to sin. Jesus is inviting you to live faithfully. There's something inside of you that wants to make a choice that is something other than God's ideal for your life. There's something inside of me that wants to make destructive choices instead of healthy, godly choices. It's something in me. It's something actually outside of me, but that something isn't God. In Matthew 4, it talks about Jesus' temptation. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God led Jesus' life into a situation that was very difficult for him. And the enemy, the devil, used that as an opportunity to apply pressure, to try and convince Jesus to live faithlessly towards God. And Jesus says, pray every day. Lead us not into a period of intense testing. Lead us not into a period of temptation to walk away, but deliver us from the power and the pressure of the evil one. Because you see, at the end of the day, Jesus tells us to pray this prayer because Jesus remembers what I forget in my life. As I go through, you know, my day of, you know, getting up in the morning and going to work and having a cup of coffee and earning a buck and looking at Facebook and driving my kids to skating lessons. And this thing that I forget that Jesus remembers is that my life, though it doesn't look like it, is lived in the context of a spiritual battle that is raging around me all the time. That we live our lives in the crossfire of a spiritual cosmic war that is happening between God and the devil, between good and evil. And it's happening all around us all the time. You see, when God created this world, he created it to be a place that was filled with love and joy and peace. And he created us to the, be the people who filled it with that, who were little miniature versions of God, little mini-me's of, of God, people who would live in loving devotion and submission and obedience to him who would be like him so that we could do the things that he would want us to do. God created the world and he created humanity and then he handed us the keys and he said, here, you take care of it. It's yours. You be the landlords and fill it with my providential love and goodness. But the biblical story tells us that at the very beginning, the devil, the enemy, enters into the picture and entices humanity to live not under the authority of God, but to live under the authority of Satan. And when humanity sinned, we took the keys that God gave us and we handed them over to Satan and said, these are yours. And we put all of God's creation under the authority of God's enemy. The Bible says over and over again that, the G, that the Satan is the prince of this earth. 
that he's the boss, he's the CEO of what happens in this world, that apart from God's intervention, this is Satan's kingdom. And when we gave Satan the keys, Satan turned God's creation into a battlefield in the cosmic war between good and evil. Now, the fighting happens here, and it's going on all around us all the time. And if we take a minute to reflect on our lives, if we take a minute to reflect on our friends, if we take a minute to reflect on our community, on the news, you can see that we live in a war zone that at times is ugly and violent and destructive. People ask the question of why bad things happen to good people. When you consider who in general is running this place, it's amazing that good things happen to anybody at all. Because this is a war zone in the battle between good and evil. And that battle is being fought in your heart and in mine. As the enemy tries to entice you away from faithfulness to God and into choices that are motivated by anger or envy or greed or gluttony or lust or laziness or pride. Self-destructive, spiritually destructive, relationally destructive, creationally destructive choices. The battles being waged in human lives and the weapons that Satan uses are things like cancer and AIDS and depression and bipolar and loneliness and addiction and any possible way that he can inflict pain on the people that God loves. The war is being waged in corrupted human systems, in oppressive economic systems, in oppressive um, political systems, in oppressive cultural systems. In all of the ways in which in oppressive corporate systems, in all of the ways in which the world seems to be perverse beyond anybody's control. The war is being waged in creation, in mudslides and earthquakes and tsunamis and global warming and environmental disaster. Apart from God's intervention, this is the world that we live in. In the middle, in the crossfire of a spiritual battle between good and evil, which is why Jesus commands us to pray every day, multiple times, every day in desperation, like those, like refugees, like hostages crying out for rescue. Lead us not into testing and trial and difficulty and temptation, but deliver us from the power of the evil one. Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the prayer. Now you want to know the promise? 
Jesus tells us to pray in desperation that prayer every day because he knows that we live in a spiritual war zone. Spiritual bombs and bullets flying everywhere. But Jesus tells us to pray that prayer every day because God has promised to deliver us from the evil one. That's the good news of the Bible. That when we cry out to God, Lord, save us from the powers of the enemy that are raging all around us all the time, God says, I will and I have Saved you. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says this. The gospel in a nutshell, the reason the Son of God, who is Jesus, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the, the devil's work. The reason the devil appeared was to destroy God's work. The reason Jesus appeared, the reason that he lived and that he died and that he was raised was to destroy the devil's destruction, <laughs> was to undo the devil's undoing of everything God imagined for creation. It was to destroy the devil's work. That's why Jesus came. He says to his disciples in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have parasmos, you will have trouble. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. I have already defeated the powers of evil that are creating the parasmos in the world. I've won. He says in John chapter 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yeah, this world is run by God's enemy. He's the boss. He's the CEO. Guess what? We sing that song, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Guess what? There is more spiritual power in you in the form of the Holy Spirit indwelling those who are followers of Jesus Christ. There's more spiritual power in you than there, than there is available to Satan who's trying to destroy God's world. You have more spiritual power than he does in Christ. We cry out, deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus says, I have. I have delivered you. I have won the victory over your thousand degree circumstances that you're living in right now. I've already delivered you. I've delivered you, the Bible says, by meeting you in the midst of your circumstances. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, we live in a spiritual battle, and if you remain faithful to Christ, when all is said and done and the smoke is cleared, you will still be standing on your feet. You've won. He doesn't just meet you in the middle of it. He comforts you in the middle of it. One of the nicknames that God gives, that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit is comforter, encourager. He is the one who comes into whatever it is you're going through right now, and he brings you comfort and peace and strength. It's how we can take heart and know that Jesus has overcome the world. He comes to support you. I've been thinking about this passage in the Bible so much lately where it says that when you're going through these thousand degree circumstances and you're at the point where you don't even know what to pray anymore, there's just no more words. All you can do is lie on the floor in the fetal position and sob over what's happening in your life. The Bible says right at that moment, the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf. The Holy Spirit says, you know what? I know exactly how you feel. I'm going gonna, 
let me go talk to Jesus about it. And the Holy Spirit goes to talk to Jesus about it. And elsewhere in the Bible, it says Jesus intercedes before the Father. So the Holy Spirit says, listen, Jesus, you got to understand how much so-and-so is hurting right now. And Jesus says, I get it. Let me talk to Dad about it. And the very moment when you're curled up in the fetal position, sobbing because there's just no more words, the pain is so great and you have no idea what to say, the whole Trinity is having a conversation about what they're going to do about your situation. He's already overcome the world. He will deliver you. He'll deliver you not just by meeting you in it. He'll deliver you by growing you through it. James says that you should consider it pure joy whenever you go through parasmos. Nobody likes going through these thousand degree circumstances. But James says enjoy at least the fact that if you remain faithful to God in the midst of it, he is going to use this situation to grow you into the person you were created to be. You ought to win victory over the enemy use the circumstances through which he's trying to destroy you to improve, right? This is one of those situations where the testing is meant to prove your faith and God uses it to improve your faith. And he gives you wisdom for it. In James, again, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom to know how to respond to the situation that you're in, just ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. We pray so often that God would take us out of our difficult circumstances. James says, no, no, pray that God would put wisdom into it so that you would know how to respond and how to stay faithful. He uses you in the midst of it. The Apostle Paul says, I was given once a tormentor from Satan. I begged God to take it away. God says, you know what, Paul? You're more usable this way. You're humble and dependent and prayerful. And that's the kind of person I can use powerfully to spread my kingdom and to push back Satan's kingdom in the world. He doesn't just meet you in it. He doesn't just grow you through it and use you in it. Sometimes he chooses to rescue you from it. Go read the Gospels all over again. Jesus spends half his life healing and raising people from the dead and rescuing them from demonic oppression. There's one story in the Gospel of John where Jesus heals somebody and it says that he rescued that person from the oppression of the Satan. Jesus is in the business of rescuing POWs in this spiritual cosmic civil war between good and evil. Jesus crosses enemy lines and rescues POWs and brings you back to the kingdom of God where all is life and love and joy and peace. I talked to, I talked to somebody this week who was telling me about their situation and I said, wow, that's heavy. And they said, I know. I said, I sometimes think it would take a miracle. And then they smiled and looked at me and said, fortunately, I believe in miracles. <laughs> in this world, you will have parasmos, but take heart. I've overcome this world. I've already defeated it. I've already disarmed the enemy. I've already overcome all the damage that, that the enemy can do. I can rescue you from your thousand degree circumstances. I can rescue you from the temptation you're experiencing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And, listen, God is faithful 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Paul says, listen, in those moments of intense temptation, when you're being enticed to live faithlessly and to choose the destructive path to do something other than God's ideal for your life, right in the middle of those moments, God is faithful to you and he is offering you an opportunity, a way to escape the strength to stand. He's making it so that you don't have to give in. It's not just about in the moment. It's about all of the moments of our lives. See, over the course of a life of faithfully following Jesus, the trajectory of that life is not necessarily sinless, but if you're faithfully following Christ, you will definitely sin less. Sometimes God just intervenes and miraculously removes the lust and the desire and the addiction and heals you like this from the temptation to sin. But most of the time he invites us into this long distance spiritual regimen of of spiritual diet and exercise where over the course of time we slowly become the person that he always imagined we would be so that in time when people look at us in increasing ways they see that we bear a resemblance to our heavenly father. They look at us and see Jesus in us not because we're exactly the same but because we look enough alike to know that we're siblings. Because by the faithfulness and power of God in our lives, his kingdom is coming in us as it is in heaven. Because he is empowering us to be his will-doing kind of people. The prayer, not in Matthew, but in the church, since the earliest days that the church has prayed the prayer, the prayer ends with these words. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for the, from the evil one for yours is the kingdom. This kingdom doesn't belong to him anymore, to the enemy, to the devil, to Satan, to the accuser, to the one who's trying to trip us up. It doesn't belong to him anymore. Yours is the kingdom, and yours, God, is the power. It's not his power that we need to respect. It's your power that lives in us. And so yours is the glory. You deserve the praise. You deserve the honor. You deserve the worship. You deserve our allegiance because of how by your power, your kingdom has come in us and through us in this world until one day in eternity, Jesus comes and fully and finally and freely and forever delivers us once and for all from the power of the evil one and his kingdom comes. And we worship and we celebrate for all of eternity the becoming of the very thing that we had been praying for for our entire lives. Let's pray together right now. Father, we live in a world that can be so messed up and yet we live as followers of you in your kingdom, not Satan's. We live under the influence of your power, not his. And as a result, we give all of you the glory and the worship and the praise, not just with our mouths, but with our lives. Our lives and our lips and our minds and our hearts belong to you 
and not him. Protect us, God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.